You're listening to An Open Book. I'm your host, Sarah Lynn. Each week, we'll open up at least one book that will expand your heart and your mind on topics covering life, love, and the pursuit of happiness. You'll also hear from special guests open up about their own journey to being happy on purpose and the challenges and beliefs they had to overcome to get there. If you're open to looking at the world in new ways, are okay with occasionally being triggered, and are ready to take your habits and decision-making off the default mode in order to become the creator, not the bystander of your life, you are in the right place, and I will see you on the inside. I'm so glad you're here today, hanging out, getting ready to listen to this one, because I think after the year that we have all had, that this episode is going to be very relatable and also by the end of it, very uplifting and hopeful as well. And whether, whether you had, you know, I know we all, we've all had a crazy year, but it's not just this year. It's like our whole life. We have had the ebbs and the flows, the ups and the downs, right? And so that is what this episode is about. Um, Emily Dykehouse is a flight dispatcher. So bonus, if you listen, when you listen to this, um, you're going to hear some really fun facts. If, about aviation, planes, flight patterns, things that go on behind the scenes when you step onto that plane. So that was, I think that's going to be really fun for you. Um, but more than that, or I should say, and also, um, Emily was really generous with being so open and raw and honest with her story from getting to where she decided that this was her dream to do something in aviation to the point where she was getting a job that allowed her to pay her bills and had meaning. And it was about a decade of multiple closed doors, the rug being pulled out from under her, um, rejection, you know, uncertainty, feeling lost, feeling like a failure, um, not sure what the meaning of her life was. And, you know, I think all those things we can all relate to at some point, whether it is this year or years, your years before. Um, but I thought that this was a really great story and I appreciate Emily being so open about it just because sometimes hearing this kind of thing, like most of the time we know what we need to do. It's just doing it right. But sometimes when we hear about somebody else struggling, um, or, uh, multiple failures, right? And we think, okay, there's nothing wrong with me because I'm experiencing those things too. If this person can do it, I can do it too. Or I'm not the only one. Sometimes those kind of things help you get to where, get over, get over the hump and, um, do the things that you already know that you need to be doing. So, um, I love, I love talking about these kind of things and I love it when people are so open, um, because it sometimes can look like a straight line to success to where that person ended up. But as we all know, it's not. And just sometimes hearing the behind the scenes, um, can be inspiring and not to be, you know, a misery loves company like Debbie Downer by any means. But, um, I think these kind of things do help to hear about. So you're going to get, um, not only some fun facts about planes and flying, but also hear a really incredibly uplifting story. So without further ado, here is Emily Dykehouse. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of an open book podcast. Today is a super fun one because 
I'm doing it, the interview in person with Emily Dykhouse. Hello, Emily. Hello. And I'm sitting in Emily's really cute, charming apartment in front of the fireplace. And you might hear ice because I, I, I was going to go get the super warm beverage today. But I, 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 as I was going through the coffee drive through it said smoked cherry cold brew. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, I need that. So I'm probably going to be sipping on that. And then Emily... We're going to put a picture on Instagram stories whenever this story or whenever this podcast goes. But what are you drinking? <laughs> or what are you drinking out of? Or say, so um, if anybody knows me, they would know I am a huge nerd. And so I am drinking water out of a Yoda goblet. Love it. So fun. We'll have to put a picture on Instagram. Um, well, Emily is joining us today because we were talking a couple of weeks ago. Um, and Emily, by the way, is my sister's girlfriend. So I am over here. I guess I should have said that in the in the age of COVID, if we're in person, I feel like we have to explain why we're in person. I said because we're safe for in each other's circle. We're in we're in the bubble. We're in a bubble. Yeah. So I was over here a couple of weeks ago, and Emily just started sharing, um, kind of the backstory of how she got to where she is now, which is in this really great job, in this really successful position. And so I would have never imagined she had to have gone through the struggles that she did. And I thought, oh my gosh, so much of what you're saying is, are things that I could resonate with because I've also felt lost, confused, in debt, not sure what the next move is. And so I thought this would be a really great way to close out season two by her sharing her story. So I'm excited to get into it, Emily. I am excited too. A little nervous, but mostly excited. It yeah. is a story that it's easier to tell once you make it through the other side. Like all struggles are easy mm-hmm. to talk about once you're past them. It is. Yeah, it is. And that's why that's kind of the other meaning of the Open Book Podcast is people being willing to be open about some of those struggles, challenges, and whether they're on the other side or maybe they're in them still. Um, it does help just to hear them. Even if somebody doesn't have like a how-to process for how you should get out of it, it's just knowing, I don't know, it's just knowing sometimes that like other people struggle and that you can be like, okay, good, I'm not alone. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, okay, so Emily, before we, we get into this super inspiring story, fill us in right now on like what do you, what is your badass job right now that you're doing? And yeah, just fill us in a little bit about it. Okay, yes. So uh, my position right now is I am a flight dispatcher for UPS airline. Uh, So what a flight dispatcher is, a lot of people sometimes confuse it with an air traffic controller. Um, What it is I actually do is I actually um, do the flight plan with uh, for the captain and the crew. Um, I actually share equal responsibility with the captain. So we share operational control. Um, so I plan the flight route, I plan uh, the fuel, I make sure that everything with the flight is legal, and because we do international flights as well, we fly to every continent in the world uh, except for Africa, so um, lots of rules and regulations that we have to follow when we uh, fly different airplanes to different countries, and I work with the captain to make sure that the flight is safe and legal. Oh my gosh, okay. And so... My sister and I are always joking because we'll be like, oh, how was our day? And we'll just say something like, oh, we had a, you know, something with virtual school for me. And my sister will say something about her day. And then we're like, well, Emily had to navigate a plane or a volcano. 
Oh yeah, that was a fun day with the when our volcano erupts and we have ash and we have to make sure that we can actually fly over the ash cloud and not through it. And so we have to do all the the calculations to make sure that once they get to that point, they were be a certain altitude. If they lost an engine, that they could still maintain distance like a four thousand feet above the ash cloud. It's it's always a fun time when a volcano erupts. Oh my gosh. Okay, so but the one thing that I didn't I didn't realize until I met you was that the pilot shared responsibility with somebody else. So what so you're saying like tell say can you say more about that? Because I think even though that doesn't have to do with your struggle, but I think that's just a really interesting position to be in that I I didn't know anything about. And I show I know a lot of listeners probably don't either. Yeah, so what most people don't realize is that um, outside of, say, a charter flight, like any plane that you go on uh, was not necessarily planned by the pilot. The pilot has input, obviously, but the flight release, the route, everything was pre-built by a flight dispatcher who may not even be in the same city, may not even be in the same state. So um, what I actually like share operational control with the captain, so... Uh, we both need to approve the flight before we take off. So if I don't feel comfortable with the flight, I have the ability to be like, no, I like, we can't take off because uh, something's wrong with the destination and we wouldn't be able to land. And so a lot of people think that it's just the pilot that makes that decision, but it's actually the captain and the flight dispatcher that share that responsibility. And most like it it works very smoothly but it also can be stressful because there have been times where even at UPS there have been um flights that have crashed or had something happen and we have lost pilots in the past and that the dispatcher is also like like well what happened so they'll come to us anytime that there's a there there's an issue like they're they'll come to the flight dispatcher as well so we share the triumphs and we also share like like the struggles and the hardships with the pilots. What are some of the things that that would be like something wrong with the destination? Uh for example, uh the other day I like um if anybody like is on the East Coast listening, the East Coast got hit by a bunch of snow yesterday and I actually had a flight that was supposed to go from Philadelphia to Harrisburg and with Harrisburg's weather between the snow that was on the runway uh it was very windy it was over 25 not gust winds which is over 20 miles per hour wind and there was only run one way um and with the snow we've like I was going through our charts I'm like well we can't legally land because they're going to have a cross wind limit so the wind's going to be coming at their side too hard they won't be able to legally land so I that, at that point, like, I had to reach out with my supervisor and be like, hey, so we can't go. Like, I had to make that, like, I do have the ability to make the decision, like, we cannot legally land at this airport. Okay. And then you've also had, you've also, like, ran into issues with, like, no-fly zones and that type of stuff over other countries, right? Yeah. So we fly, say, like, we fly to um, Dubai and we fly um, to like through Saudi Arabia, like, so we fly through some very dangerous airspaces, like, um, with, uh, the issue, like, you could, we have to be kind of politically savvy as well, so when we were having, uh, at the beginning of 2020, when there was, um, all this conflict with Iran, when we assassinated the Iranian general, we assassinated him in Iraq, 
And so we couldn't fly over Iraq or Iran. Um, so we had no fly zones there. We don't fly over uh, Yemen. We, um, if we fly over Afghanistan, we have to be at a certain altitude by the time we get into that airspace. So we're flying through some very dangerous airspaces. Uh, so sometimes when I'm going through the flight and I'm looking at the flight route and we're getting reading notices, I'd be like, oh, be aware of ground to air missiles and take like extra vigilance when you're flying through this these areas. So it, it can be very dangerous. Like some of the places we fly, like uh, certain areas in, in Central and South America. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, and that, those are the things where it's like, well, we had like a hectic day and Emily's like, well, <laughs> to navigate flight around the missiles or something yeah i always kind of tell people i'm like imagine like if you ever see like apollo 13 or a movie with like you know space control and you have the astronauts and then you have uh, a bunch of people in a room full of computers that's kind of what i do like i'm in a room with four different computer screens with a bunch of other people kind of like behind the scenes like mission like, control or like yes, you're, exactly. you're Houston like Houston we have a problem yeah we are, are the Houston okay, okay. <laughs> for the airline like if there's ever an issue they call us okay okay so okay so this is like wow so impressive like obviously like you're incredibly smart incredibly skilled like you've gone to school for a while to learn how to do this take us back though like kind of into what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago is like how, so how, how does one even get started on this? Like where, when was it when you were like, oh, I think I want to do this instead of, you know, accounting or be a painter. Like what was it in you? There's like, I want to learn about planes. And then where do you go from there? Yeah. So like, I guess like when I was a little kid, I like, I always dreamed about being an astronaut. But then, you know, as you get older and you become more cynical, like by the time I graduated high school, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I only went to college for one semester after I graduated. Then I dropped out because I wasn't happy. I didn't have really any friendships. And I'm like, I'm just wasting money and I'm not doing anything. I don't have a goal. And so I actually um, dropped out and I was working full time at a factory and I just wasn't very happy. And I was doing that for about a year, and um, I was out to lunch with my dad. My dad even pointed it out. He's like, you just don't seem happy. And I'm like, well, I don't feel like I have a purpose. I don't have a goal. I'm not happy where I'm at. And he was actually the one. He's like, because he was the one, like, we'd always go stargazing, looking for the space shuttle. Like, we, he introduced me to Star Wars, ergo my beginning nerdness. Like, <laughs> he's like, well, you've always, like, dreamed about being a pilot in aviation. He's like, why don't you look into that? And that's kind of what sparked the plug. I'm like, well, what would I want to do? And so my first dream, like, actually, I went flying for the first time when I was 19. And many aviators would tell you about, like, the first time they went flying, like, that's when they were hooked. And so I actually um, went flying in a little uh, paper air- aircraft and with my dad's cousin. And then he told me once we landed and we were talking, he's like, well, if you like to fly and you want to fly, do it for fun. Don't do it for a living. So find a job that will allow you to be able to, to fly for fun. So I'm like, okay. So I went home, did some research. And I actually, my first dream was to be an air traffic controller. Okay. Okay. So I'm like, that's where my aviation um career kind of started I was uh 19 at the time like 19 almost 20 and I'm like I want to be an air traffic controller and then okay so then once you're like okay got 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 some direction now 
And then what's what's next? Where did that direction take you? Yes. So once I have a like had the goal in my head, I'm just like, this is what I want to do. I Google. I'm like, okay, how do I become an air traffic controller? And at the time, it's like you needed to have a college degree. So I'm like, okay, what are the colleges I can go to? And one that kept popping up was the University of North Dakota. And I remember I'm just like, I don't want to go to North Dakota. Because I'm from South Dakota, and the only claim that we can make of pride is like, well, at least we're not North Dakota. <laughs> Sorry, my North Dakota people, if you're listening, but I'm just like, I want to go to North Dakota. But I did some research, and I'm like, okay, it's going to be so much cheaper to go here. It's only a four-hour drive from home. They're, they're one of the best aviation programs in the country. And so I'm like, I want to, let's do this. I'm going to go to UND and get my degree in air traffic control. Okay. Okay. And then along the way, so like you're still like you're feeling more of like a sense of purpose, like you're feeling excited. Yeah. Like I'm very much like if I have a goal, like there's like I'm all in for that goal. Mm -hmm. So once I'm like I had that direction, like and I went back to school, like I was never a good student in school. I barely graduated high school. I mean, like a D for me, I'm just like, well, I passed. I'm good. Like and when I would tell people, like, like oh, I want to go into aviation, like, even one of my old teachers was like, well, you have to use a lot of math for that. And I was never good at math. I got bad grades in math. Like, just wasn't a good student. So people are like, you want to do this job? I'm like, but you're not that smart. Mm-hmm. Kind of a thing. Because I never had excelled in school because I never cared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there is something, like, once once you do have, like, meaning or like passion behind something it is easier to be like get get through the suck the things that do suck because there's always like the suck to get to the goal yeah and I think a lot of people like you know will have a dream and people will look at them and be like but you aren't smart enough you're not capable like Mm. like you can't do it and I like I know like when you hear that like some people get can get discouraged when I hear that I get angry and Mm. when I get angry like I um, I use that anger and actually helps me excel more than encouragement does. So actually people's doubt in me help me more than more or just as much as people believe in me. Yeah. You hear, I think Eminem said the same thing, girl. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, if I'm saying anything that Eminem agrees with, then I'm like, Oh, I'm on the right track. It's <laughs> very, very similar on the right track. Okay. So you went to college, you got through college and then you graduated and then what? All right, so um, went through college. Uh, I did my flight trainings, which was really fun. So, like, learned just about everything that there was to learn about aviation. And I remember, like, there was kind of a setback. My um, The last semester of my senior year, the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, changed their hiring um, process for air traffic controllers because it's not necessarily a job that you can just go and apply at whenever to be an air traffic controller, you have to go to the FAA Academy in Oklahoma City, and they only would open up hiring maybe once a year, and they would only take so many people. Mm-hmm. And so they changed the hiring for us, I remember, to try and make it more diverse, where they opened it up to everybody. So not, so people with a degree, like, like it didn't matter if you had a degree. And we, I remember having a big meeting with like you know a few thousand people at my college and we were all freaking out like we're graduating 
in a semester. We just spent all this time getting a degree and now you're telling us that our degree is worthless, that it's not going to get us into the academy. And so um, uh, what ended up happening was they put out what's, uh, a psychology test and it was really kind of ridiculous questions. I remember like, um, like if you found a moot, like if you found $20, what would you do? Um, would you sneak into a movie if you can get away with it? Like, <laughs> what was your favorite class in high school? You know, not even aviation-related questions. And I remember, like, when they first opened it, over 10,000 people in the country, like, took this test, and less than 1% of people passed it. And mm-hmm. I was one of those people. There was only eight people in my college that passed that first round of hiring. And you were one of them. And I was one of them. Okay. And then after that, like, it's such a process for these hiring, like, just to try and get in. I had, once uh, I passed that first psych test, I had to go to Chicago and take the, um, the ASVAB test, which was about six hours. And I took that, um, a week before my finals. And so I had to drive from if anybody knows where Grand Forks, North Dakota is, it's right by the Canadian border. I had to drive from there to Chicago, like two weeks before finals, and take this six-hour test, and then drive back home and continue to study for finals. And I didn't hear back about this test until summer. I had no idea what my score was. I had no idea if I passed or not. And then I eventually, all I got was like, oh, you passed. So I'm like, oh, sweet. I passed this long test. This is awesome. Because I was in limbo after graduation. I remember I was working at a car wash and also painting houses after college. Because I'm like, well, I need to do something while I wait. So I got word that I passed. And now I had to wait for an academy date, which could take years. And I was lucky. They're like, no, we got your class date uh, January 5th. Okay. So I was like, okay, you have to go down to Oklahoma State January 5th. Oh, and before all that, I also had to take a psychology, another psychology test to make sure that I wasn't crazy. Okay, good. I mean... Verdict's still out on that one, but I did pass that. <laughs> you, you bowled them. It's like, I, I, I did... I'll be honest. I did lie about one. They asked me, like, do you like fire? And I'm like, no. And you're like, I do. I do like fire. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, they were just kind of weeding out. Like, I think they were looking for the schizophrenic. Because they're like, do you hear voices in your head? Do you feel like somebody's out to get you? And, like... There was, like, over 100 of these questions, and I'm just like, yes, no, no, and mm. passed that as well. So had to take um, three different tests before I even got a, a date to go to the academy in Oklahoma City, which is three months of training and testing, and it's actually pass-fail. Oh, wow. So just because you got into the academy, like, you had to go through all these steps to get in, and then you still have to pass it. Mm, okay. So January 5th comes, you go to the academy. Oh yeah, went down to Oklahoma, which is so much nicer in January than North or South Dakota. Sure, yeah. So it was 3 months of training and it was very intense training. There I had a lot of um guys that were air traffic controllers in the military that were there and they said like this is one of the hardest things I've ever done. Wow. It was it's very stressful, it's very intense, and they had over a 50% fail rate. What made it so hard? Um, I think a lot of it is like the pressure. Mm. Um, so when we get, get tested, what we have is like we have an air traffic controller that comes in and they sit behind you. And so everything that you're doing, somebody's breathing right over your shoulder when you're taking a test, you have that pressure like, okay, I need to have at least 
make have 70 points at the end in order to graduate and like actually pass the academy so I can go get a job at an air traffic control facility. So that's always hanging over your head. And there's um, a lot to study. We have to like study airspace, like have an airspace completely memorized. We had to draw it from scratch. Like, and because it's such a intense job, air traffic control is one of the most stressful jobs in the world. Um, they, they, it was perfection or bust. Like mm. there was no room for error. And so, uh, a stressful job and a stressful environment. And it, I remember it was like, like every weekend we'd go out like and be like, would be partying like because it was so stressful. <laughs> we had to unwind somehow because during the week we'd go to class for eight to 10 hours a day. And then I would come home and I would study for another five to six every oh, night. Wow. So they actually even had to warn us like, don't burn yourself out from studying too hard. Okay. Because we, we, we ate, we breathed, everything we did was for to try and master like the training that we were doing so that we could pass because we knew like if we didn't get a certain score we would not pass okay okay so wow okay so you've done a lot to get to this point you've had to go back to college you've had you've had to get your degree you've had to pass the ASVAB you have to get into the school which you got into and then you're like um going through like these three super stressful high pressure (laughs) really important three months of your life you're just studying and eating and kind of sleeping oh I I try to get six hours a night (laughs) okay good 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 so okay so then tell us what happened did you pass yes so um every all this training all these years of work um all came down to um our last two days of testings that we had to do and at like like 60 percent of our grade came down to our last two tests and they actually brought us into a air traffic control um, simulation room so we're like we're in front of a radar screen like we're talking on the radio to fake airplanes where somebody's in the other room and they have you know a scripted sheet of like things that they have to say. So right when two planes are about to, you like we get a notice like, oh, these two planes are at the same altitude and they're going to meet at this point. The second that we get that alert, then cue them. They come like they're another aircraft. Like, oh yeah, we want our clearance so that we can leave. Or another aircraft calls mm. like, we want, like it's, it's a little bumpy here. We have turbulence. We want to climb up an altitude. Mm. So th- they set it up in such a way that you have about six different things going on at one time because they want you to prioritize like how you go about building this problem. So it's super stressful. I have somebody sitting right behind me that's grading me, you know, basically like, like, are you going to get your dream job? This job that at that time I spent, I was 20 when I made the decision that I want to be an air traffic controller. I was 25 when this happened. So I had spent the last five years, almost six years working towards this goal. And, um, I, failed my last well I passed but like I mathematically I failed by two points like so the like even if you I got a perfect score like I did two scenarios they were each 40 minutes long and I didn't get a high enough score in those two like even if you got a hundred on your last um uh test you would still be short two points so you mathematically have failed out and it was an 
anvil on my heart. Like, it felt like I was standing still and the rest of the world was just, like, shattering, like, glass around me because, like, it almost took me a minute to, like, kind of process and compete because I just... I couldn't understand. I'm just like, what do you put like that? I'm just like, I, I didn't pass. Like I failed. And what most people don't realize is they're like, well, why didn't you just go back and try again? I'm like, you really get one and done. Like, no, like I haven't heard any story of somebody that failed the academy and got back into the academy. Oh, they don't let you back in if you failed? No. So um, what happened was like, they, they take me up, they read me a letter, like a long official, like you did not meet the minimum score requirement you were hereby terminated I had to sign a piece of paper I had to turn in my um, my headset that I used and then that was it I walked out of the building and I remember just being like like completely shook I'm just like what am I supposed to do like because um I had given up I didn't have I gave up my apartment I gave up everything I had because I'm like oh I'll just get new stuff when I get my air traffic control facility someplace Mm -hmm. and to add a little salt on the wound um if I would have passed uh I would have been an air traffic controller in Hawaii because they they gave me three options they're like okay you can go work either in Alaska in Guam or Hawaii and I'm like well that's a tough choice Hawaii obviously and they're telling me like okay well Hawaii like what you would do is like like, you'd train for, like, five years, and once you got done training in a center control, you'd go back to the academy, and you'd be a tower controller, and that'd take two years. So I'm like, okay, like, in seven years, by the time I was, like, in my early 30s, I could have been an air traffic controller at any facility in the whole world. Oh, my God. So I could have done all my training in Hawaii and had the opportunity to get trained in multiple positions that other people didn't have. So then I could have just had my pick. I'm like, well, where do I want to live now? Do I want to go live on the East Coast? Do I want to go to Seattle? Like, I could have gone anywhere. So not, like, this big dream that I had that I worked so hard for for years just shattered because of one 40-minute test Mm. that I didn't do well enough in. Mm. And so at that point, it's like... That's when I really kind of spiraled. Of course, yeah. I think, I mean, I'm thinking I would. (laughs) I would for sure because, I mean, we've, I mean, we've been talking now for like 15 minutes about, you know, this, this, like your story about how you, you know, how you dreamed it and all the hoops you had to jump through to even get into the academy and all the time you spent into it. And then at the end to be like, well, Sorry. It's like, yep, you're done. Like, that dream, it's gone. You lost it in a day. You worked through it for so long. It's, like, and at that point, it's like, you realize, like, it slowly starts to dawn on you. Like, like, not only, like, this dream that you worked so hard for, but it's, like, the entire future that you had envisioned for your life slowly, like, well, actually, it wasn't even slowly. It was, like, very much, like, in a snap of fingers. Like, my whole future that I had planned for myself was gone that rug being pulled underneath you from underneath you oh yeah good analogy i was was like that guy in the movie 300 that got kicked into the pit (laughs) oh god (laughs) i know what you're talking about yeah i'm just like oh so at that point like they like i flew home the next day well i got ridiculously drunk and cried a lot and then i flew home the next day and my dad picked me up from the airport and he brought me to my car and i remember like then he drove his drove his car home and I remember just sitting in my car I'm just like I have nowhere to go Mm. I'm just like I don't have a home everything I own fit in my car 
I was like, I don't have a job. Um, I had spent a lot of money going to college for this dream. And then I was back to square one because one of the reasons I wanted to go into aviation was because I didn't want to stay in, in the town that I grew up in. So there was more salt in the wound because I'm like, I just spent so much, so much effort, so many years and so much money to get this education, to get this job. And I'm back exactly at the place I didn't want to be. Uh, okay, so you could have been in Hawaii. Could have been in Hawaii. Said you're back in your... Now I'm back in uh, my town of uh, like 1,500 people in South Dakota. Oh, and then you're just sitting... Man, and when you're saying that, like, I, I know that you are not the only one that has ever felt that way. Just like, like lost and like, what do, where do I go from here? So where, where did you go from there? Right, well, like for, it took me a long time to mourn I mourned for a long time and I oh yeah like um I remember like just being completely defeated like I got extremely depressed um to the point that I was suicidal like I was like like I was like to the point like I was planning on taking my own life because on top of like the hurt from losing my dream and my future like I also was in so much debt from college Mm -hmm. um when I sat down looked at it I was over six like I was six figures in debt and I didn't have a job and I would try to apply at other places because when I went to school for aviation they were telling me they're like you know oh we're gonna get you like the best education you're gonna have your pick of jobs when you graduate and I know a lot of college students are kind of like spoon-fed this idea that like you know you go to college you pay your dues you get a good job many people many millennials were like told that and now I'm not the only one that has to live with the the reality that like, we spent all of our, like, so much time and money and effort for this degree, and now we can't get a job in our chosen field. And so I was very depressed. I, I'm not a, like, and I was very angry. And so um, I lashed out a lot of people. Nobody wanted to be around me. Um, I was very cruel to my family, my friends. I lost a lot of friendships, the, the friends that I still have. Like, I think that's just a testament to how much they love me because, mm. they, like, any, like, the way I treated people, like, if anybody wanted to walk away, nobody could blame them. I couldn't blame them because I was in such a dark place. Like, I was just very angry, bitter, and sad. Or, and so I was like that for a few years actually mm-hmm. and just very I cut myself off from everybody um I eventually was able to get a job um as an assistant manager at uh Sherwin Williams which is a paint store and just being so bitter because I'm like this I'm like I went to school for aviation and I was so close to getting my dream and not only that like there's a little bit very much ego into it like you know, like, oh, like, I got so far when so many other people didn't, and now, sure. you know, like, working at a paint store, and you see people, like, in a small town, people from high school, and people, like, well, that makes sense, you know, she barely graduated high school, and now she's, she's back home, you know, like, so there was also bitterness that, because I'm like, I wanted so much more for myself, and now I'm living the life that I worked so hard to avoid, Mm-hmm. and so I like I kind of like started to um resign myself to I'm like I'm like okay my life is just gonna suck and so I remember like uh Sherwin Williams moved me to a store um a, a different uh, store in a small town in South Dakota 
um, and I won't say the name, but uh, people like for when it comes to South Dakota towns, like it's one of the uh, towns that nobody really wants to live in. Okay. <laughs> and I was so mad about it because I was like, I had to, I had to drive two hours to get anywhere. Like if I wanted to go to a mall, I had to drive two hours one way or another. Like it was very secluded. Um, there was mm-hmm. nobody there my age that wasn't married. There was no such thing as dating, anything like that. And so. I did that for six months, and I was miserable every day. I hated what I did. I hated where I lived. I was not happy with my life, and I just kind of kind of given up at that point. I was just going through the motions. Yeah. But in hindsight, like, I'm so thankful that, I, that they moved me to that town because that's actually what kind of pushed me to, like, it was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back one day that I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I can't keep living this life. And so what did you do? Yeah, so it's actually, like, <laughs> I remember, like, the, the tipping point was, like, um, I was in the library before I had to go to work, and I was looking for another book, and a, a lady, and uh, I think she had mental health issues uh, because she mm-hmm. um, she was staying next to me, and she was kind of just talking. I'm, like, being polite and whatnot, and then she's, like, she's, like, something smells. And so she got up, like, right next to me and was, like, smelling me she's like you smell good (laughs) and that was kind of like it's something so small but that really was like the moment that I'm just like I gotta get out of this town I gotta get out of this job and um my mom had mentioned um like months earlier she's like well why don't you go get your dispatch license and try to be a flight dispatcher and I'm like I don't want to waste more money on something that's not going to guarantee me a job because I just spent so much money getting my degree. I'm like, I'm not going to spend money to get my flight dispatch license when I may not even get a job. But once that incident kind of happened and I was already just so miserable and unhappy, I'm like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I'm like, I I went home. I pulled up my laptop. I'm like, how do I get my flight dispatcher license? And I found a school in Dallas, Texas. I'm like, Texas is warm. Yeah. I, I called them that day. I'm just like, when are, when's your next class? And they're like, we have a class in six weeks. I'm like, cool. I'll send you a check today. I'm like, put my name down for it. They're like, okay, cool. And then this all happened like within an hour before my shift. So then um, I I called my boss. I'm like, I'm, I'm putting in my two weeks notice. Like, I, and I actually think I gave them three weeks. I'm like, in three weeks, I'm going to be leaving. Okay. And he was very understanding. He's like, yeah, I knew it was a risk. Like, you have an aviation degree. I thought you might go back into that career. He's like, but thank you so much for everything you've done, mm. all that stuff. And then I went to work, and I told my manager at the store, I'm just like, I'm leaving. Mm. And then I called my family. I'm like, oh, by the way, I'm going to Texas next month. And they're like, okay. Or were they like, you're crazy? No, they were just like, yes. Oh, good. Okay. Because they, they knew how, how unhappy I was and I was just going through the motions. And they, I think they're just kind of waiting, like, what's she going to do next? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you end up in Texas. You go, you get your dispatcher license. Yeah, so that was 200 hours of training, which is actually like, I was like, that's all I did in Texas. Like, all I did was like study. I'd like, you, we'd have 40 hours a week where we go to class. So it was kind of nice because I was back immersed in aviation and it reminded me again how much I love it because it, oh. it really is such a passion. So I'm like, oh yeah, I remember the, I remember all the, like the different airspaces. I remember all this weather information coming back to me. 
the rules and regulations. I'm like, this is so great to be back in it, to have a goal. And so um, I, w- I got my uh, dispatch license in six weeks and that was more testing. So I had to um, do a, uh, a practical test. They had another FAA examiner come in. I do, had to do a practical test and a verbal okay. test where they sit down, they just ask questions like, so tell me about a cold friend. Mm. You know, like, what do you need? What does your aircraft need to go into RVSM? airspace or reduce vertical separation airspace like what do you need for that and then like I actually had a plan like a practical test like and right now we use a computer system that does our, our, our planning I had to do all this by hand so I had to calculate the fuel burn I had to um, dig out maps and do a flight route it was from like uh, Dallas to LA I had to do a flight plan from Dallas to LA with a pencil and paper and do all the numbers like the fuel burn and how like you know how they're gonna land and what route they're gonna be on and what's the what's the winds aloft like what's the fuel burn gonna be at thirty six thousand feet versus thirty four thousand feet. Wow. So, did all that got my dispatch license. He shook my hand. He's like, "Congratulations! Like you like you deserve your your airline dispatch license." I'm like, "Yes." <laughs> I'm because there's another lady in my class. We went out that night. And we got like. A bunch like so much margaritas mm. and celebrated all this mar- like got margaritas and Mexican food and celebrated getting our our flight dispatcher license and then like the next day I had to drive back uh, to Minneapolis for a friend's bachelorette party and then start the journey of trying to find a dispatcher position someplace okay so so and obviously that kind of brings you up to where we are today right so well, I actually worked at a different airline before UPS. So, oh, okay. Okay. So, um, it's actually a very, like, aviation is an extremely competitive industry. And so, in order to get on with a big airline, say, United, American, Southwest, like, the big airlines that pay all the money, you have to kind of slug it out at a small, they're called regional airline. Okay. Um, so, there's a few dozen of them. In the country, and so I was able to get on with uh, Transstates Airlines that was based in St. Louis, um, making weight like much less than I was as an assistant manager at a paint store. Like, oh, I was wow. making less working at an airline than I was as an assistant manager, but we kind of knew that. Like, um, okay. if you talk to pilots, too, a lot of pilots like they'll talk about when they first started flying at these regional airlines and they're making you know $30,000 a year. Okay. And so they do that because you have to gain so many years of experience. Pilots need to build up their hours before a bigger airline's going to look at them. And it's the same with flight dispatchers. Like they're like a major airline's not even going to look at you without 2 years of experience. Mm. So, um for 2 years like I was working at this regional airline and it was great because I learned how to be a flight dispatcher. You know, like how does the airline industry work? Um, okay. Not only that, like, how does the airspace work? So, and so, working with these really small, horrible planes <laughs> that were so hard to try and, like, dispatch because, you know, just, like, they they were so small. They only had so much ability to do so much. And then you, we also were, we were partnered with United and American. So, we were a passenger airline. And that was fun because we had some interesting stories of you know drunk passengers stuff like that that we had to like deal with and 
I feel like we need a reality show of like dispatcher, <laughs> like pilot. We flight. talked about that. We talked like oh my, they they have so many shows about doctors and firefighters. Mm-hmm. Like I think it'd be funny to see like the ins and outs of some of the things that happen at, in like at an airline. Or I know, it's fa- it's so fascinating, so fascinating. Okay, so you were in St. Louis for two years. Uh, two and a half years. Two and a half years, and then what? How did you end up? Here in Louisville, Kentucky. Right. So um, once I hit my two-year mark, and even before um, I had two years, I was applying everywhere because I'm not make- I wasn't making any money, and everybody's just always trying to get that major airline because that's how you like that's where you want to spend your career. That's where you're trying to get to. It's kind of like doctors getting through their um, internships. Like you want to get through like regional airlines or like your internship, and then you want to go become a resident someplace. Okay. And so. Um, I applied basically at every airline that there is, uh, even overseas. I applied at New Zealand Air. I applied for um, airlines in Europe. Um, I applied United, American, Southwest, and I was continuously getting rejected from these jobs, um, which could be really discouraging. I remember like back when I was trying to find a job after I failed the academy and not being able to find a job and you keep getting turned down and I'm like, well, you know, I have. I have my flight training, I have my degree, I have this experience as a dispatcher at an airline, I'm like, and I couldn't get a job. And mm-hmm. in 2018, I remember I had was flying all over the place. I flew to Cincinnati for a job, I flew to Chicago, I flew to Dallas, you know, I like those are just the airlines that even let me in the door. At the time I was applying everywhere and you have to get apply. They only um, are taking maybe th- like at most 20 people at a time. Not even that much. A lot of times they're hiring like six people at an airline. And you have t- like tens of thousands of people applying. So it's extremely competitive. So um, only a, I flew out to Denver for an interview with Front Frontier. And I re- kept getting rejected from all these jobs because you have to take a written test and you have to, you do a verbal test. Um, and it was really frustrating because, because the competition's so stiff, they could ask you anything. So you have to keep all like this information that you don't even necessarily use at the job, but you yeah. need to know and they can ask you it. Okay. So I was constantly studying like uh, the federal re- regulations. Um, so, like, constantly studying weather. So, if they ask things, you know, like, tell me the three stages of a thunderstorm. You have to be able to know it. Okay. Okay. See, this is part, I, I know we're talking about, like, your story, too, of just, like, closed doors and open doors. But also, I think it, this is just so interesting, all that goes into, like, behind the scenes when we step on a plane. Like, thinking about, like, what all the pilots thinking about and then the support team behind the pilot. Yeah, because, like, we kind of had to be a jack-of-all-trade yeah. in knowledge when it comes to... um aviation you have to know weather you yeah. are, you also have to know the rules and regulations which are like a dictionary of different things you have to know about the actual airplane so you have to have basic maintenance knowledge you know like if you lose your hydraulic system like how is that going to affect your aircraft mm. we actually had to memorize like the interior of a cockpit so we had to know what all the same information that the pilot does we obviously don't know how to fly like they do but we have to know like okay that's their navigation that's that's their gps like this is their flight data computer, like, so we have to know a lot more than what most people might assume that we know. Oh yeah. And 
we have to keep all this knowledge at hand so when we do interview with these major airlines they they know that we know our stuff yeah 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 okay so you keep getting rejected from all these major airlines oh yeah like doing chapter two of this mm -hmm. okay and then and then what happens like how did you end up where you are now all right, so like I said, in 2018, I had gone to Cincinnati to interview with Amazon, who want, they wanted me to help them start their airline. Went to Chicago, went to Denver, went to Dallas. And all these jobs are turning me away. And so I get a call from UPS um, uh, of, like, I would be interested in a job. They're like, my, they actually accepted my application. And so I had to do two different phone interviews and then they like me enough that they're like, well, why don't you come on down um, for your written test? And then I did another verbal. And then they're like, we'll show you our facilities. And so I actually uh, took, I had to take work off because I had to work that day. I actually like took work off and I drove the four hours from St. Louis to Louisville. And I remember at that point, because when I was interviewing for these different jobs in different cities, I'm looking, I'm so confident that and myself, I'm looking at, you know, apartments in Chicago, and then I don't get the job. So I'm looking at apartments in Denver, and then I don't get the job. Apartments in Dallas, I don't get the job. So by the time I drove to Louisville, I didn't do any re research on the city. I had never been here before. I drove for my interview. It took a few hours. And then at that point, I was just so discouraged. I remember, like, when I was driving home, I didn't stay in the city at all. I did my interview. And then I immediately got in my car and I drove back to St. Louis and I called my parents along the way because they were like, how did you interview a girl? I'm just like, I didn't get the job. I thought I did okay, but they're not going to give me the job. I've never gotten the job. I keep getting turned down. Mm. It's just another job rejection. So I didn't bother looking up anything about the city of Louisville. I just resigned myself to the fact that I'm like, it's another no. I didn't get this job. Before you go on, let me ask you this. Did, were there things, because you had been interviewing so much that were were helpful in the interview with UPS? Like, had, had anything, was there any benefit to having interviewed so many times? Like, did they ask you similar questions, or were you, like, more prepared or more confident, or? I actually think that's, like, that helped a lot, because at that point, like, by the time I went to UPS, I had interviewed at so many different airlines, I kind of, you know, I kind of ex knew what to expect, like, okay. questions that they would ask like on the written questions that they would ask and the verbal. So I was a little bit more confident in myself. And I think part of the reason I was able to be a little more confident too is because I just, like, I wanted to, like, make a good impression. But then I was also just like, they're not going to give it to me anyway. So it kind of took a little, like, it, it was just stressful. But then I was also feeling a little defeated. Mm. So I, I was able to go in there with a little bit more, like, confidence because ironically confidence in like my defeat but because <laughs> you're like I don't have anything to lose I so. really at this point I'm just like I don't have anything to lose I'm like this is like my fifth interview that I've had this year okay so okay so you're telling your parents I didn't get the job and then you're here so what happens yeah so um the they told me they're like we're here back you can hear back from us in about two weeks and I'm like I've heard that before because mm. i um, I had two different airlines I looked at at Cincinnati. I remember one of them, like, well, you're here back from us in two weeks, and two months later, they, they told me no. So I didn't expect to hear from them. I'm like, yeah, sure. And they actually called me um, a little, like, uh, like almost right on the dot two weeks later. Like, they, she called said, oh, I'm, I'm so-and-so from UPS. And I remember being like, well, oh, you didn't need to call. Most people just send an email saying no thank you like I even then I was like just very defeated I'm like oh well thanks for calling and whatnot and like no we want to offer you the job 
and I was at work at the time. I had to step out from work, and I'm just like, and like I just kind of froze. Like I saw like a poisonous snake, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm just sorry. You, you want to what? And she's Say like, that again. Can you say that again? I just started to hear really loud circus music in my mind. And they're just like, we want to offer you the job. I'm like, really? <laughs> I was like so in shock to the point the lady's like, well, do you need a couple of days to think about it or anything? I'm just like, no, 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 absolutely. I, I want this job. And I had to sit down. My legs were shaking so bad. Like I had to sit down. I remember so I was leaning against the wall and I was I started to cry. <laughs> and I'm like, I, yeah, I can I'm, see. I'm not a crier, but I'm just like, I finally got it. Like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I finally got on with a major airline because not only is it just, you know, they have better facilities, they have bigger airlines, uh, bigger airplanes, they're flying all over the world. But for me also, who I was working so much to try and pay off this debt that I have accumulated, I'm like, my pay doubled. Mm. just when I started like my pay went up so much so I'm just like not only do I have this better job with better support that's you know like just so amazing the prestige but then also like it offered me financial safety that I've never had in my whole life Mm. I grew up not having a lot of money I've never had a lot of money and then I got this job and it completely changed everything now I'm just like oh my goodness I could pay off my student debt which was never a reality before I could buy a house, which was something I couldn't even imagine doing. I can retire. What? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> what is this? Uh, I, lo- I love that. And so at this point, you're how old? Um, I was, when I got the job at UPS, I was 29. Okay. So and nine I started, years later. <laughs> I started my aviation job when I was, ni- uh, my dream when I was 19. That was how old I okay. was when I was in an air, went flying for the first time and knew I wanted to be in aviation. And I started uh, at UPS when I was 29 years old. Okay. So I have a couple of questions about this. So there's this quote that I love. I think it's John Lennon. I'm, I'm pretty sure I may be wrong, but it's like, um, is, is this going to, and I'm botching it, but it's something like, if you want a happy, if this is, is this going to be a happy ending? And he's like, um, well, that depends on where are you in the story? And I think that's so true. And he says it way better. So you'll have to Google it. Um, but it's, I love that because it's like, like you could have like said, oh, your story is at your end of your story is at Sherwin Williams, assistant manager. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, the story continues to unfold and the opposite is true. And I have had personally have to like, remember this and, um, know that the, the, the ebbs and flows of life are just part of it because at the, the end of the story isn't happily ever after either, right? There's going to be the next challenge. Mm-hmm. So that's my question to you now is what have you ha- have you had to face another, you've landed the dream job. We could end it here happily ever after, you know, but what looking ahead, like where are you going next and what's a challenge that you maybe see yourself having to, to move through or get over again? Yeah. And so like, <clears throat> excuse me, like even though I got this great job, like, it hasn't been without its challenges as well. Like, cause I've made, I've made mistakes on the job enough where they've actually pulled me off the desk and I wasn't sure if they were going to fire me or not. Mm. So that's, there's actually been two different instances. One where I made a mistake just cause I missed it. And another one where there was lack of communication, but at the end of the day, I'm still the dispatcher, still my responsibility. So there's two different times that I made blunders to the point that I wasn't sure if they were going to fire me or not. So then I had to go back through that fear again. I was like, oh, no, am I going to lose it again? I can't lose this again. But 
they, they're like, they're like, we want you to succeed. Like we we're going to give you extra training. So I've had to get extra training and it's a, it's a job that like, I'll never stop learning. I'll never like just get to a point where I know everything every day is like, I learn like I learn something new every day still has its challenges. Um, we're in the middle of our peak season with Christmas and we're also working on getting, um, the vaccine like delivered. So there's- because and I should have clarified this. Sorry to cut you off, Emily, because oh, you right. are you are not in the passenger side of aviation. You do cargo, and I don't know if that was if we explained that enough, right? Is that yes. correct? Okay. And it it was actually pretty like crazy, like how well it worked out because um, because of the virus is crippling commercial airlines. The mm-hmm. only airlines that like that that are you know doing really well are cargo airlines like UPS, FedEx, Atlas Air. So well, I've had um, friends that are at major airlines like American and Southwest. Like they're laying off pilots. Like they're laying off flight dispatch. They're laying off you know like like so many people that you know have done the same thing as that I've explained. Like all the pro- like the processes that it takes to get to that level, and you finally think that you mm-hmm. make it at this major airline. And then you're laid off. But UPS is one of the only airlines like that I feel completely secure in my job. I mean, it's not without its hardships, but like our airline is actually doing really well where other airlines are not. And what I think is so interesting, I just want to point on that, is like how often do we like want something so badly to happen? Like you were wanting maybe the job in Hawaii or the you know, the major airline in, you know, whatever city you applied for, um, in the beginning. And then it's like, who knows, maybe not, but probably like this year, who would have ever expected this year, we're recording this at the end of 2020 would have ever happened. But had you got one of those jobs, then you're almost back at not, I don't want to say square one, but obviously you've taken a step back. You don't have a job anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, like so many other people. So it's just like, I don't want to say everything happens for a reason because I, I don't know that I believe that, but it is interesting just to see how things can unfold f- for your um, for your benefit, even if you can't see it at the time. Yeah, and like I was actually talking to my dad about this. I'm like, you know, I was seeing like I was so discouraged from getting rejected from all these airlines, and I like looking back now and I'm seeing like. That's the I think that's one of the benefits of being older. You can kind of start to see the patterns in your life and how sometimes the no's were like the biggest blessings you could have asked for. So I was actually telling my dad, I'm like, I am so thankful that I got turned down for these jobs. Mm. I am so thankful that, you know, I, I took like a 16-hour day to fly to Chicago for an interview at United and I ne- never got the job. I actually never heard from them again. And I'm so thankful for that because I'm like, if I would have gotten these jobs... I may not still have that job mm-hmm. with everything that's going on. Like, so, and I finally got to a point too where I was able to let go of that pain of losing my dream of becoming an air traffic controller. Um, I'm actually so thankful that I didn't pass the academy. Like, I'm thankful that I didn't get those jobs that mm. I wanted. Because even when I got a job at UPS, like, um, we, they were a major airline, but they didn't pay say as much as American or United and I'm like well maybe I'll work at UPS for two years get experience and I'll go up to American or United but um six months after I got hired we our our union negotiated a new contract so now we're we're an equal pay scale as Delta and American and United Mm -hmm. we actually make like 
equal and in some ways get paid a little bit more. So now we're one of the highest paid airlines and we're a cargo airline in the middle of a global pandemic where other airlines, you know, nobody wants to travel with everything that's happening. But and so people are getting laid off and we don't have to worry about that because we don't carry passengers. We carry cargo. Yeah. So, so so interesting. And I think that's a good reminder, just like looking back and it's easier to do looking back than like being in the middle of it. And, um, but it's like, if you are in the middle of that thinking like, okay, what could this be setting me up for to be in a better position, either to have like build that muscle, build that tenacity, have that experience to be more compassionate, empathetic for somebody else. Cause we were just talking before we hit record how, how most of the time, like, even though we say we want to be happy, the growth actually happens in the unhappiness when you're going through the hard stuff, the struggle, the challenges so that you can come out and either appreciate things more, um, because contrast also creates clarity. So sometimes by knowing what you don't want, you can understand what you do want, but I mean, we are, we are recording this at, at the end of like just the wildest year ever. Um, and there has been a lot of hardship and a lot of people have lost their jobs, mm-hmm. have had opportunities swept out from underneath them. And, um, like you, uh, you know, it, like it, it could be a funky year. Like you could be in a funk, you could be in a place of feeling lost, hopeless. Where do you go from here? So let me just ask you this, just based on your experience, like anybody who is feeling that way, like what, what advice would you offer? Or what's a different perspective that they could look at that? Yeah. So like anybody that's struggling and I know everybody's gone through struggles and, I feel very blessed in the fact that, like, um, what, like, I'm like, oh, well, I don't have to worry about finances like other people do, and other people have lost their jobs. Like, one thing I would tell people is, like, and this is coming from, like, I completely understand, like, when that rug does get swept out from underneath you and you have lost everything, you don't know where to go. Um, there's, a, there's a motivational spe- speaker. I watch a lot of motivational videos because I'm a nerd like that. But there's something he said I really liked. He's like, if you're going to fall, land on your back. Because if you can look up, you can get up. Oh, my God. I love that. Do you know which one? I think we have a lot of motivational speaker nerds listening to this podcast. <laughs> if, they're, if, they're, if they're hanging out with me, they're, they're probably in the same boat. So. so, yeah, like my thing is like you can be scared. You can be sad. You can even be angry. Like because I think we've all gone through all those emotions and more this year. Um, one thing I would tell people is like, yes, feel that, feel that pain, feel that loss. Cause we have lost so much this year, not only just in terms of like deaths in our country, deaths in the world, but we've lost, like I compared it almost a little bit to, um, like, I, like nine, when a nine eleven happened, we lost a little bit of our innocence. Like we're, we're never, we're never going to go back to what we were pre- COVID-19 like Mm -hmm. like the whole world has changed in such a way that we can't go back and so there is that loss um I would just like tell people that I'm just like that even like once you have lost everything it doesn't mean that you can't get anything and I think that's like it's it's like I said it's easy for me to talk about it now on the other side because if somebody would have told me like right after the academy like it'll get better I would be like get better <laughs> sure like it's easy to say when you're happy but I think that's like the true struggle of of life of being human it's 
it's like what do we do in those times when we're not happy like because that is the defining moment of our character is like how we handle those hardships how we handle that pain no one's saying that you can't feel that pain but it's like how are you gonna handle it how are you gonna react to it okay i think that's so good and such a good reminder because whether it's the year of covid or something that happens next year or five years from now it's like that advice is going to be um relevant and helpful no matter no matter what because you know we've talked about it before like you've had your challenges you've had just even recently you've had challenges and mistakes have been made and it's like like that doesn't mean your story's over you just move through you just embrace the ebb and the flow because forever and ever we're gonna have the ebb and the flow so that was really good advice just to remember that it's like you're not knocked out you can get back up and that's just part of like learning and growing and um, just, part of, just part of life, being a human being. Yeah, I'd have to feel like life is actually, like I would say that we, like the losses are going to outnumber the wins in our life. Mm. But by a pretty big margin, like you're going to get till no so many more times. All you need is that one yes. Yes, yeah. Um, okay, we could talk forever. I think we could have our own motivational. You should start your own motivational YouTube video. <laughs> I'd be like, I'd be like, comment. And comment you think below. That, if you would watch this. <laughs> yeah, YouTube video or YouTube channel is what I meant. But yeah, so, so good. So um, before, we, before we sign off, though, I always ask guests a couple of the same questions. And one of those questions is because this is called an open book podcast. And each week I also share a a favorite book or a helpful book. Um, What is a helpful favorite book that you have um, that's given you, um, it can, and it can be fiction too, and you can have a fiction or a nonfiction, but that's helped you move through some of these challenges in life. Yeah, like I, I mentioned a little bit earlier before we started recording, like um, the book Man's Search for Meaning. Oh, Viktor um, Frankl is the... Vi- yes, yeah. by Viktor Frankl, uh, who uh, premise of the book was he was a Holocaust survivor. And, you know, just talking about like the experience, like going through something like that where you have everything taken from you, like not even just your your possessions that they, they take everything that you own but they also like strip away like everything that makes you human so it's like once you have lost everything like you're like the essence of who you are like what is the purpose mm. like of everything after all that and to read it from somebody that went through something so horrific something that you know a lot of people nowadays like will never be able to fully comprehend it's like it, I think it really helped put things for me in perspective because perspective, yeah. I'm just like, like there is always like, a like, a purpose for life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that one is that one is a really good one. It might be a, a great one for just the the climate that we're in, just to put things like, it could always be worse. Sure, it could always be better. It could always be worse. Um, how do you, like, one of the things that I'm really interested in and talking with people and going to be getting more and more into is just this whole idea of, like, people just say, like, I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. And I see it as, like, people are seeking it. And even when they find it, we don't always, like, fully experience happiness. And so that's a topic for another day. But for the purpose of this question, like, how do you define happiness? Yeah, and I think, like, just, like, 
for me personally, like, yes, I, like, it's, it's nice to be happy. It feels good, like, when life is, you know, kind of, like, lining up the way that you want it. But I think, like, we have so much more to offer this world than to simply be happy. Because mm. I think if... It, it makes me think of the book uh, Brave New World, if anybody has ever read that, like, in middle school or high school. Um, uh, like, in a utopia future where everybody, you know, like, if they start to feel too much, they take their summer pills, like... Like, oh, well, like, I'm feeling a little down. I'm going to pop a pill to be happy. I'm just like, there's so much more to life than just being happy. Like, I think, um, like, there, like when it comes to life, it's so much more of a, like, like, um, going, like, like, going through those hardships, having, like, goals. Like, goals are a big one for me. Like, even now, like, that I got my dream job, I'm like, this is the end of my storm. Like, what are my other goals? And, like, what are my other dreams? And right now that I've gotten to a place that I'm like, okay, I'm where I want to be. Like, I feel like tr- one thing I realized, I'm like, like, I'm happy with where I'm at, but I'm like, I'm not like, okay, I'm done. I'm fulfilled now. Yeah. There's still kind of like that. There's got to be more than just this. And one thing I'm starting to realize like now is you c- like the best way to b- find happiness is to make other people happy to help other people and that's kind of where I'm at right now it's like okay I I have this opportunity now where I'm in a position that I can help others and I can maybe help other people like reach their goals because to just reach for your own happiness in life is just such a a small way to live when I feel like we offer so much more to the world than just that than our own happiness Mm, I really love that I really love that. Um, and that's something that I think we could even, and, and those are like just little things. I don't know. I'm thinking of like, you know, the whole pay it forward thing and just the, like the, the kindness and just, I love that. It's just like, yeah, take care of yourself, you know, get yourself fed and, and definitely like pursue those things. But also like you're saying, there's so much more and so much other good that you can do for others. So I love that. Last question. What's something that you are currently unlearning you've maybe believed or you have um thought as like true or a habit and you're like actually this doesn't serve me anymore and so you're learning to unlearn it well I'm kind of unlearning right now like um my workaholic habits because before like I'm I'm very used to working 60 70 hours a week I'm used to not having any time off and just devoting all myself to a job because I've always had jobs that didn't pay a lot but now I have this job I'm like I make a lot and I don't have to work a lot as many hours to make more than I would have before so now I'm unlearning um or unlearning and trying to learn like that there is more to life outside of our jobs like there is so much more than just like like accomplishments at work and so that's that's what I'm struggling with right now is I'm learning that like there's more to my life than just working all the time Mm. oh god I think that's a really good reminder um so you're a little unique because a lot of the times the people that I'll have on here um have online businesses or some type of businesses and I know that 
that you don't, but what if somebody wants to reach out and just say, Emily, this would like really touched my heart or I learned a lot from this or like I can totally relate. Where do you hang out that somebody could just drop you a note and say thanks for sharing or ask you a follow-up question? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I do have an public Instagram page. I mostly just use it to post my artwork. So I get like, you know, a few people to be like, hey, that's not too bad. So yeah, and you are so good. You're so good. Yeah, feel free to go like it. Make me like validate me. Yes. <laughs> okay. And what what is your Instagram handle? Say that is a good question. I don't okay. remember. Let me pull it up real okay. quick. We'll pull it up. And then I'll also put it in the show notes. And like I say with every guest, like it does mean the world it means the world to me whenever I hear from you. And then I know that like our guests, anytime that you reach out to them and just say, Hey, thanks. Like I loved this little nugget or I took this or I really appreciated it. Um, it does, it does mean the world to them. So definitely reach out to Emily on Instagram and she's at, uh, yes. Yeah, so it's at Emily and 10 and weird spelling for the first name, but it's, uh, Emily with an I E instead of a Y. Emily and 10. Okay. And then I'll put that in the show notes so people can easily click on it. And you are a really talented artist. So they'll get a little joy in their feed with some of your artwork. So with that, Emily, thanks so much for hanging out. Oh, thanks for having me on the show. And all that you shared. And, um, I know, I mean, I selfishly got so much out of this, so I appreciate it. And I know that anybody who listens will as well. So, um, happy holidays to you all. Um, this is the end of season Two, so I love this um, that we wrapped it up with Emily, and uh, I'll see you guys in a new year, twenty twenty one. Hey, it can only get better. Knock on wood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, knock on wood. All right, so, uh, we'll see you all soon.